Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. episode of what we are currently calling the Will Raggett's show on Purple Insider. If you missed the announcement last week with uh, me and Matthew Collar, I'm going to be hosting a weekly episode of the podcast going forward. And uh, may, we'll see if the name changes in the future. But right now we're going with the Will Raggett's show. Pretty simple. And uh, honored and, and excited to be joined by Thor Nystrom for my first episode. Uh, he covers the college football and the NFL draft for NBC Sports Edge and uh, just wrapped up a long draft cycle. Thor, congrats on, on getting through it. How's it going, man? Hey, thanks. It's going well. It's good to be with you on your first episode. I, I guess my name suggestion is, has, has hit the trash can or whatever. My my idea was Will Reg on Kirk and other Vikings musings, but, you know, maybe they're still considering it. Yeah, I, I think that one that one's a little lengthy, maybe. There were a lot of good suggestions on Twitter. Um, it's a tough thing. I'm, I was kind of being a perfectionist about it, but we'll we'll see. Uh, what we end up going with. But yeah, I wanted to chat with you just about uh, the Vikings draft. It was a really interesting few days for Kwesi Dofo Mensa, Kevin O'Connell, this this new regime. And I think we have to start with just the big trade that they made uh, on opening night. We were sitting there. I was sitting there in the media room getting ready for them to pick at 12. And I knew there was a possibility of a trade back, but then to move back 20 spots and to do so with a divisional opponent, uh, what was just your your overall impressions of that kind of being the first big move uh, of the Adolfo Mensa era? Yeah, initially in the moment, I was I was shocked, and the uh, the sticker price I think is what did it for me. Wasn't surprised that they moved down. Um, if it was me, I would have thought a little bit harder about Kyle Hamilton. I'm sure they had a lot of conversations about that in the room, um, but once they had made the decision, to, I was fine with them trading down just because you bring back Kirk Cousins, you're sort of locking yourself into that cap hit. You have all these, these roster needs still. How are you going to plug them without cap room? That Getting more draft equity was one way to go about that, especially in this class where we knew wasn't as strong up top, but in the middle rounds, that was sort of considered the power alley of it. So the prerogative of it or, or the strategy of it, that was not a surprise. But I thought that they would get a little bit more for dropping down 20 spots. And, you know, in comparison, especially to some of the other uh, trade that, that we were seeing, the value that uh, some other teams were getting. And then the traditional trade charts, you know, like the Jimmy Johnson and the Rich Hill, they both suggested that maybe the 32 and the 34 for 12 would have been fair without having to drop down 20 spots in the, you know, in, in the other round, whatever. Um, but, you know, th- that being said, love the pick when they took Louis Seen, love that pick. And then speaking to the, the thing about the, the trade charts, they remain static year after year. The Jimmy Johnson one is still used by front offices. It's kind of like the Kelly Blue Book 
you know, for, for both teams to sort of get, you know, general same side ballpark about what the value of these things could be. It doesn't bake in the context of the specific class that you're drafting in though. Right. And so the fact that this class maybe wasn't as, as strong at the top, you didn't see the depreciate. You wouldn't have seen the depreciation of that in a static trade chart or the fact that maybe the middle round picks, the day two picks would be more valuable. And you saw that in its, for instance, the trade with the Packers, that that trade recouped a whole bunch more value than you would have seen on those charts. So I think all the trades, you know, you know, after you sort of bake them all in, I, I think they sort of all offset. Yeah, and, and that was kind of my general takeaway from that that Lions trade as well, is that I think judging by Adolfo Mensa's comments, they came in with a plan that they wanted to move down and they wanted to uh, turn that that asset that they have. And you don't you don't draft 12th very often. The Vikings hadn't drafted that high since 2015. They wanted to take that that valuable asset and turn it into more assets. And I think that was a, a good approach. And you can understand why they would do that, because this roster is not one piece, one non-quarterback piece away from being a Super Bowl team. I mean, they're eight and nine, seven and nine the last couple of years. Um, but as you said, and as I think the, the frustration from a lot of fans is looking at past trades, looking at trades that even happened uh, over the same draft, could they not have gotten more? Could they not have gotten maybe a 2023 first from the Lions uh, or, or maybe not had to give up the 46th pick and given up 77 instead, something like that. And um Ultimately, I think Adolfo Mensa talked about like you, you have this happiness with sitting at 12 and taking a pick or you have, do you have more happiness by trading back and taking multiple players and they decided to go that route. We don't know if they could have gotten more if other offers were on the table, things like that. But yeah, you, you mentioned you liked uh, the pick with scene. You also mentioned that they could have stayed at 12 and taken the guy who's the consensus top safety uh, on basically everyone's board in Kyle Hamilton. So that was interesting to me that if you were going to take a safety, why not take Hamilton? How do you kind of compare uh, those two players when you were evaluating and watching them? Yeah, well, like I said, I love seeing, it's just Hamilton, you know, with him, you put him up in the echelon of some of the better safety prospects prospects you've seen of the last 20 years. That, that's what it was for me. I mean, for me, I mean, since I've been doing, for me, it's only been like seven years since I've been doing this. But he's at the at or near the the very top of that list. You know, th there's not safeties that are you know generally taken top ten or whatever. He ends up falling out of that. But the the two guys that we saw in the top five or six taken over the last twenty years, I would put him up with those guys in terms of prospects. Louis seen though, he's a better prospect than the slot that they got him in. You know, they couldn't have figured that in the moment, and so I I think that was a pretty nice. Uh, you know, way staying at the same position to sort of recoup some of that value. Uh, I think the Ravens were celebrating the fact that they got Kyle Hamilton, um, it, but they're different players, right? Like, you know, Hamilton is, he's the deep safety who has sort of the frame of a linebacker, you know, and, and you can put him in the box, like just play him in the box, whatever. Scene, scene is versatile in his own way, but he he's a really interesting guy in that he, he does all the prototypical free safety stuff, but his game is, is imbued with this like throwback, strong safety, hitman, Ronnie Lott, night train lane, like I'm coming for you over the middle and you're going to hear my footsteps kind of a thing. So he's really interesting. Both the coverage, he's reliable in coverage. He's a really reliable tackler, but he also has that hitman thing that, that's just embedded into his game. 
um, very instinctual players. So I, I like the fact that they got him there. And, you know, again, it's it, you're sort of lament not getting Hamilton, but then when it becomes Hamilton for scene X, 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 you're adding like the four other guys that they got because of the trade downs that the equation becomes a little bit different. Yeah. I think that's just going to be the thing that people come back to is um, whatever the process was in the moment, uh, people are going to have the hindsight analysis. If Kyle Hamilton becomes a stud, I mean, there were a lot, when you trade back 20 spots, you're passing up on a lot of, blue chip, really highly graded players. Like they could have taken Jordan Davis. They could have taken Trent McDuffie. I think that might've been a little high for him, but um, they needed a corner. Kair Elam also went off the board. And then the Lions trade up and they take Jamison Williams, who um, some Vikings fans were kind of coming around to the idea of, of taking Williams and pairing him with Justin Jefferson, having your long-term Adam Thielen replacement. Um, Kyle, what, do you, what do you think about the Lions move um, to go up and get Williams? And is, is that something that, um, the Vikings may end up kind of regretting as they have to face him twice a year for a long time. I think it could be just, you know, just by natural comparison or whatever, both the Williams thing. And then of course the Packers with, with Watson, you, the Vikings sort of helped facilitate both those rivals getting the receiver that they wanted. But then again, the, especially the first two picks that the Vikings took, I'm not going to argue with either of those, nor the moves that led to them getting them. Because for me, seeing, yes, there's a drop-off from him, him to Hamilton, but I had seen as the number two safety, I had him, you know, ranked on my board, you know, in the top 25, top 26, something like that. And, and we've seen, for instance, the, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, uh, Jerry Jones accidentally leaked their, yep. their draft board or whatever. We saw that Louis Seen was a top 15 player on their board, and he, I mean, that's not the only one. There was NFL teams that really like Louis Seen. It's just, you know, safety is a bit of a devalued position, and there wasn't as many teams in that alleyway that needed safety. So one thing you could credit uh, Adolfo Mensa for, perhaps, is, yes, we're, we are sacrificing Kyle Hamilton with this transaction. You know, they, they may have taken Hamilton if they had stayed put there. And instead, we're going to get a guy who maybe isn't quite as dynamic, but is pretty dang good. You know, it's absolutely a first, considered a first-round safety, not only on most analyst board, but most NFL boards as well. Yeah, the more I've, I've kind of read about Seen and we, we got to talk to him a couple of times since he was drafted uh, and watch some of his, his highlights and stuff. It seems like he has a lot of upside with kind of the mental side that he brings and then just the physical attributes to to diagnose things and just accelerate and, and, and hit hit people really is, is the strongest part of his game. But I think he also has a lot of upside in coverage. Uh, if he can continue to kind of develop the ball skills, I think there were a few dropped interceptions on his tape. He only had a couple, I believe, uh, in three years at Georgia. But uh, talk about a, a great situation for him coming in, getting to play alongside Harrison Smith, learn from him, and then eventually maybe be uh, the long-term successor for Smith. Um, but the, the next pick that the Vikings had, I think I, I just wrote about this um, on SI.com. And I, I think Andrew Booth Jr. might have a higher ceiling even than Lewis Seen. He, he plays that premium position cornerback versus safety, which factors into it. But he, he was telling us about how he hasn't played fully healthy since high school. I mean, he, he played through a hernia issue. Uh, he had a couple other issues while he was at, uh, at Clemson. And if he can kind of stay healthy and have that, that hernia issue fixed, which he just had a second surgery on and, and be at a hundred percent. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had a ton of production at Clemson while maybe being 70, 80% most of the time. So that, that to me, there's a risk there with the injuries, but uh, the ceiling with, with boost physical traits, 
and, and his ball skills and, and just everything that goes into playing the position. If you can clean up some technique stuff, to me, it seems like he has a very, very high ceiling uh, at cornerback. W- would you agree with that assessment? I would. Yeah. You know, we, we talk most of the pre-draft process in, in, you know, Vikings Twitter and stuff like that about a 2019 stud five-star recruit at cornerback who struggled with injuries throughout his career, thinking that maybe the Vikings could get him on a sticker price discount. It's just, we were talking about the wrong guy. Stingley ends up going three, which I found to be absurd, but you know, that's, that was the Texans prerogative. I think this was a way better scenario for the Vikings because instead of paying a ridiculous premium for a guy that hasn't, you know, you haven't seen the good football for a couple of years, you're, you're taking the swing on upside with Booth at a much more acceptable price point, much more acceptable price point. Stingley, by the way, he would have gone way lower than that had he not been able to come back from his injury, do the pre-draft testing. You know I mean? Like when he went to that pro day, that's when he became top, he locked himself into the top 10. And then we saw that this team got all the way up to top three. Andrew Booth didn't get to do that because of his strain quad. But if he had put in the full athletic testing, I can guarantee you he would have gone in round one. Because the kid's a, the kid's a stud athlete. He's he's built really well. He's got long arms, um, and the athleticism absolutely would have translated to the pre-draft testing. That the the ceiling point that you made, I, it's very well taken. You know, you'll see him erase people on tape just because of the the physical skills. He also understands route running real well. You know, he understands what the receivers are trying to do. Um, but right now, he is one of the younger players in this class, and people need to realize that he's. He's not one of these guys that's coming out after five years, after playing a billion snaps. He didn't even play a thousand snaps in college. He was only, you know, on campus for three years there at Clemson. First year didn't play much, was part of the rotation as a sophomore, became the full-time starter as a junior. But, you know, he doesn't have the complete experience, again, that some of these guys do. And you see some of the inconsistencies. He's a gambler. That, that's, that's one part of his game that I don't know if you're ever going to take it out. Um, and he has the athleticism to be able to do it and to be able to not only flip the field, but take the ball back the other way also has the ball skills for it. But when he gambles wrong, he can get torched by almost anybody. Uh, one of the games you could refer back to from this past season was against NC state where he was getting cooked by Emeka Mezzi, who was a, an undrafted free agent guy, not very athletic, but he fooled him a couple of times. And then a couple of their ancillary receivers as well. You, you could point at those games or you could point at the opposite ones where he's just shutting people down. He has the, the physical skill set to do whatever you want. It's just you're going to have to teach him some of these things. But he's so young on, on, the, on the curve and he comes with a ballyhoo pedigree. He comes with all the requisite NFL athleticism. There's no reason to believe he can't get there with coaching. I really like the pick with where they got him. It, it, it takes away a lot of the risk once you're taking a kid with those first round tools in the middle of the second round. Yeah, and talk about a guy who, who I think just talent-wise uh, could have been a top 20 pick, like you said, if he had done uh, the athletic testing. You get him at 42. Uh, it, it's a good point about kind of his risk-reward nature, and I wonder how much the Vikings will uh, try to coach that out of him at all or if they'll kind of just live with that. I mean, Trayvon Diggs for the Cowboys, is like he's an example of somebody who's had a huge impact as a guy who's going to make a bunch of plays on the ball, but he's also going to give up a bunch of big plays. And I think Marcus Peters is kind of another example of that. Um, so I wonder if that, if the Vikings are kind of just going to let that, let him, let him do his thing and live with the big plays. Cause you know, he's going to get you some turnovers or if they're going to maybe um, try to rein that in a little bit and, and coach him up on, on some tech technique things and, and try to avoid some of the big plays. Either way, I think um, a, a really, really interesting pick and an, uh, a great value at, at 42. Now I was reading your, um, your draft, your quick snap draft grades for the Vikings. Uh, 
and you gave him a C plus. And I think a big reason you cited was the two picks that they made at 59 and 66 uh, with LSU guard Ed Ingram and then Oklahoma linebacker Brian Asamoa. Um, those to me, uh, in the moment, I was also a little surprised by just going by uh, kind of where analysts had had them ranked. You look at the the consensus board that Arif put together. Um, Ed Ingram has some some off the field stuff in the past. I think there were maybe other um, guards on the board that were rated higher. Uh, Brian Asamoah, a little undersized. There's also just kind of the non premium position aspects of taking a guard and a linebacker there and. It's kind of funny that the Vikings did the same thing they did a year ago when they took Wyatt Davis and, and Chaz Surratt, a guard and a linebacker in that same range. But um, what what did you what were your reaction to those two picks and um, why did you why did that how did that factor into basically your your overall assessment of the Vikings draft? Yeah, th- those were were definitely two of my least favorite picks from this class. They they were a little bit head scratching for me. I, I understood with what they were doing, taking the interior guy. Um, that was something I advocated for all process. I, you know, I, I think the Vikings needed at least one immediate starter inside and maybe even two, if you want to, if you want to be a contender this year, like, I don't know if that's completely the direction, but it seems like that's what they're doing now going back with Kirk and trying to draft some, some play now type guys. So with Ingram, that's what surprised me is you're taking a guy who does not have, in my opinion, perennial all pro type, ability you're reaching up for him when he has this off-field thing and some you know the off-field thing in his past now to be fair the the charges were dropped you know and and stuff like that so that you got to say that of course he deserves another another chance it was just surprising for me where they ended up taking him on my board he was 103 you know, he reminds me sort of a Jonah, Jonah Jackson, a kid that came out of Ohio State a couple of years ago, where he's he's built sort of like, a you know, a lunchbox. He, he sort of sawed off and he, he sort of moves and blocks in an unorthodox way, but he's always gotten it done at the highest level. You know, he was playing right away at LSU outside of the year that he got suspended and was 2018 or 2019 or whatever, um, missed the 2018 season. Um, but you know, outside of that, he played every year and he played pretty well and he put in a 74th percentile athletic composite. I, I do think he's got a decent shot to start day one, but again, I, I didn't see in his profile, I didn't see that, that crazy, crazy upside. And especially when you can get a kid like in this class, you could have gotten a kid like Darian Kennard at round five that, that I think Darian Kennard is a better player and a better prospect than Ed Ingram. He didn't have the similar off field stuff that I, I would have preferred to go a direction like that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, even with kind of the the question marks on on just Ingram as a prospect, I think 
it made sense for them to address the interior of the offensive line. You, you've got, um, it's just been an issue for a long time. And, and it's something that I think they need to just kind of fix once and for all. Hopefully you've got Ezra Cleveland, who looks like he's going to be set at left guard for a while. And they brought in a bunch of kind of um, minor names uh, on that interior this offseason. You got Chris Reed from the Colts. They got Jesse Davis, who has been a tackle and a guard for the Dolphins. So there's some veterans there. Wyatt Davis, who I also who I mentioned, who kind of was was just a no show his rookie year. I don't know how much Mike Zimmer and his kind of disdain for rookies played into that. But then you've got Garrett Bradbury, who they didn't pick up the fifth year option on. So it, it made sense to add an interior offensive lineman. I just wonder if that was the right guy to take and kind of the if, if it was good value there. Um, I, I, well, and, and just one more point on that, Will, like you saw Questy moving up and down the board and, it, you know, you liked that he was comfortable in his first, you know, his first draft, making the transaction, stuff like that. We saw the receiver run in, you know, in round one where teams had to get up there if they wanted to do that. The Lions were one of the teams that were able to seize the moment with, with the interior lineman. I wonder if the Vikings were actually sitting on one of these other kids that went right before him. Cam Jurgen seems like he would have been a really good fit, you know, as a potential guy to whether he's pushing Bradbury, certainly he would have been considered the guy 2023. Maybe he could play some guard too, because he didn't have the arm length limitations that for instance, Tyler Linderbaum did. He went right above them. Um, another guy that did was, a, was an, in, he played tackle at central Michigan, but he's probably going to be a guard at the next level. Uh, Luke Gadecki went two picks above them. I wonder if the Vikings were sitting on one of those guys and just sort of deferred to Ingram because they got popped right before him. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a fair point. Um, We'll see what happens there. I think Ingram, um, just just off of the experience he has um, and what we've seen on his tape, has a chance to come in and start at right guard right away. Uh, he'll have to beat out a number of guys, Reed and, and both Davises, to do so. But uh, I think with his kind of what we've seen from him as a run blocker, and uh, it seems like he has a little more upside in pass protection than some of these, like the, the kind of the joke that over the last few years in this wide zone, Vikings offenses, they take these former tight ends who are great run blockers, but can't really can't really anchor against anybody. I, I think Ingram has a little bit more in that area just with his his mass and his length. But uh, we'll see at Asamoah, the next pick um, is one that I initially was surprised by, mainly because there was a guy named Nicobe Dean still on the board and and Dean ended up falling to 83. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure medicals uh, played a huge role in that, but um, Asamoah, a little bit undersized, really speedy kind of sideline to sideline linebacker. Uh, it just, it seemed to me like kind of an uninspiring pick, but, uh, as I've, as I've read about him and, and, um, learned a little more about him, I think I, I understand where they were coming from. What were your, what were your thoughts on, on Brian Asamoah? Yeah, I, the, the whole thing is, you know, I, you know, I wrote this in my thing. I was fine with them taking the undersized linebacker. It's just I would have been curious to know why not Nicole Dean, especially when he went 15 picks later. That the NFL obviously had some medical questions about Nicole Dean. Was he off the Vikings board? Was he just pulled way down because of it? Did they know something about that? Or are they concerned about something about that that we don't know? So it's hard for me to completely judge the apples to apples decision that they made 
because I, I'm not privy to all the information or how that they read that information. But it's still a bit confusing for me. Just, you know, again, the sticker price, when you're looking at it and it's like, Dean's still on the board. He's going to be on, we find out that he's going to be on the board for another half of a round. And you end up taking a different undersized linebacker that both those guys are sideline to sideline run stoppers. You know, they, they clean up messes both inside the tackles and outside of them. You like that a lot. Um, the other thing that, that you like about Aspen, you know, he, he's an athletic kid. He's a zippy kid. He gets around the field really quick, triggers quick. The lateral agility is there so we can get down the line really quick. Um, we've seen some stuff with him rushing the passer that it seems like he's got some promise there. Um, the, the aspect of his game that, that is surprising to me that it's not better yet is the coverage thing. And I don't know if he's ever going to be a plus, uh, you know, plus in pass coverage. He certainly has the athleticism for it. Just doesn't seem to have the instincts for it yet. Um, I, I comped him in our, you know, we write like the pre-draft blurbs for like Roto. Well, it's called NBC Sports Edge where I work now, but we write like the, you know, write them up beforehand. And I called him the Kirkland brand Patrick Queen because it's the same thing where it's the undersized dude who's super athletic. That's really good against the run, but in college he struggled in coverage. And so I just don't know if they're going to have to hide him, you know, in coverage going forward. Uh, one, you know, one thing you knock him for a little bit is he's an undersized athleticism based linebacker that struggles in coverage. But again, I'm, I'm not concerned about him in the run game at all. And that kid plays really hard. He, you know, he's got a motor that goes for days. Yeah. And taking him in the third round. I mean, it, it, you're not, it's not like you're taking him in, in the mid early second or something like that. I think, uh, I mean, I've, I've talked about it before, but the Vikings have a lot of veterans um, that I think can be good mentors and just kind of some of the specific position position matches like I think Eric Kendricks is a great guy for Brian Asimo to come in and try to learn a lot from Kendricks wasn't the biggest dude coming out of UCLA and he uh, has developed into one of the best coverage linebackers in the entire NFL that's going to be a really interesting mix there at linebacker in the new in Ed Donatel's new defense they brought in Jordan Hicks Uh, you've got Surratt from last year who I've kind of written off completely even though he was a third round pick I don't know Maybe we'll see more from him this year. They still have Troy Dye, who they took in the fourth uh, in 2020. Blake Lynch is is the former undrafted guy who's played the most out of any of those uh, younger names that I just listed. So going to be interesting to see how that linebacker room shapes out. And then um, I, I guess I'm just going pick by pick here, but um, a, a pick that stood out to me in a good way um, was in the fourth round, they take a Caleb Evans from Missouri, the cornerback, who just – all you really need to know at a very surface level is that he's like 6'2", 200 and runs like a 4.45. And, and that alone, I think to me, that, that gives him a chance uh, to develop into a, a good player because those kind of cornerbacks just don't come around all that often. And he's not going to be asked to play right away with, with Patrick Peterson there and, and Cameron Dantzler and now and Andrew Booth as well. But you, you get him uh, with the coaches and, and on the field and, um, clear up some of the technique stuff and just kind of continue to develop him. To me, it seems like he has a chance just based on um, the, based on the pure physical traits to be pretty good. So what, what were your thoughts on that pick? Yeah. I, I, I love the dice roll for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, like you mentioned, he's, he's got the frame, you know, he's, he's got the height, he's got, he's built well, he has the length, the arm length is there. And then he has the athletic profile too. You know, he, he tested really well as well. We know that he can play the boundary corner and press man coverage. 
So I, I, you know, I, I think if you're looking for a developmental guy there, I, I, th- I think that was great. And obviously that was something that the Vikings prioritized was, was infusing that secondary. We got to infuse that with talent. What, what's interesting to me is, you know, how are the Vikings looking at these guys now heading into next season with the cornerback thing? Because, you know, Dantzler and Peterson, you would think project as boundary corners. Booth has only ever played boundary corner at, at Clemson. And then Evan certainly is a boundary guy. So it's going to be interesting to see how they figure out who is, who is going to be playing in the slot and how they sort of delineate and divvy out those snaps. But yeah, in the fourth round, I, I, I like the value they got him at. Yeah. And they brought in a couple of guys, uh, a couple of low, lower tier free agents, Chandon Sullivan from the Packers and, and Nate Hairston from the Broncos as well, who I think um, I've at least pegged on the depth chart to be the guys who are going to compete at the slot. But ultimately, I mean, I think they're going to, they're going to get their best three uh, and, and maybe a rotation with, with four uh, on the field. So we'll see if somebody kicks inside. It's not going to be Patrick Peterson, obviously, but um, and so we'll, we'll see how that kind of all plays out. Um, not as many. Well, uh, the, the Vikings still ended up with a decent number of picks in those late rounds. Rick Spielman kind of became famous for having tons of, of six and seventh round picks. They ended up with five there in rounds five through seven. Uh, Asesia Tomiwo, the uh, edge, kind of DL edge, five tech from Minnesota, Ty Chandler, the UNC running back. They get Vidarian Lowe, Illinois offensive tackle, Jalen Naylor, the receiver from Michigan, and then they end with Nick Muse, a tight end from South Carolina. Is there one name in that group that stands out to you as a guy who, who has a chance to uh, make an impact? My, my guys there would probably be um... – I like the kid from Minnesota. I, I like taking a dice roll on guys that are projectable like that. He, he seems like he's a pretty good fit for a three, four defensive end. You know, that, that's what they were looking for there. I, I think you can get some development there out of that frame and everything. Um, just got to get that kid in the weight room, my opinion. I didn't like the Ty Chandler pick as much um, in, in some ways because it's superfluous with, with Keenan Wangu, the, the same stuff like, Chandler, he had all sorts of opportunities to run away with jobs and to become the star of his collegiate offenses. And it never quite happened for him, Ten, you know, both at Tennessee early on and then at UNC where, where everything was wide open for him. The, the UNC thing, I, I thought he was going to play better than he did last year because he's more of a straight line speed type guy where playing in the spread offense against more uh, thinner boxes. And then the ACC, the defenses were down last year. I expect them to do a little bit better. Um, he does have some re- receiving skill and then he has the straight line speed thing. Those are the two things that, you know, that, that he's got going for him. Um, I, I don't know how much I trust him between the tackles, unless again, that you have thinned out boxes and stuff like that. And the defense is expecting a pass. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he, he certainly has the speed. I, I would have taken some different running backs there. I, I like Valderian low there. You know, he's a big kid who has light feet. He has very long arms. When you're when you're at the 184th pick, all the the tackle guys who are sure things have gone above you. I, I like the value of that pick. Same thing with Naylor. I, I completely got what they were going for there. Naylor is he's still raw, but he has the physical tools that you would like to work with. You know, down the depth chart, see what you got. Bring him in over the summer, see what you got. He tested in the 80th per, 80th percentile. I uh, like that one. And then the Nick Muse one, he he was the um, the only guy they picked that wasn't on my 500 board, but he just barely missed it. And I, I still get what they're doing there uh, as a guy that tested really well. And we knew going back to South Carolina that, that he was an athletic kid, which is why it was surprising he didn't get the invite to the combine 
you know, sometimes with the, with these guys who played in the SEC and they test really well, you're surprised that they don't get one. He didn't get one, so I wasn't expecting him to get drafted because of that, but he ends up getting drafted. And I, I think that's just bringing in a guy that, that has the physical tool set and you see if you can develop him into something more. Certainly Nick Muse in college did not have the best circumstances around him to excel. You know, South Carolina, their offensive lines have been bad these last couple of years. They haven't had much for quarterback play. Last year, they were playing a, a grad transfer that thought he was he was going there because he was retiring from the sport to be one of their GAs, Zeb Nolan, and he took over as quarterback. So, like, they, they haven't had the best situations there as far as that goes. So maybe you get him in here and maybe he turns into something better. You know, he's 6'5", 258, and he tested in the 88th percentile. So I, I don't mind that dice roll at all, but you know, th there might've been a couple of tight ends I would have taken above them. But as far as the, the tool set, he's, he's about as good as you could have hoped for down there. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of interesting to me that they didn't take a pass catcher until uh, as late as they did with Naylor and Muse, just um, some of the potential for adding another receiver. Like, I mean, we mentioned that there was talk that even as early as the first round, that could have been, an option. I don't, I don't know how, how much they ever really considered that. Um, but um, to, to not take one until the sixth round with Naylor was interesting. Although I do think uh, I've seen a lot of them at, in the big 10. I think he has some upside. Um, and then Nick Muse, the tight end. I mean, I, he'll compete with, with guys like Zach Davidson, who they drafted last year in the fifth round, Ben Ellison um, behind Irv Smith Jr. And Johnny Munt, who they brought over from, from the Rams. You, you lose Tyler Conklin, but I think they probably feel okay about where those rooms are uh, for now, both receiver and tight end. But maybe next year, that's something that uh, they address a little bit earlier. Uh, with the Ty Chandler pick, the one thing I'll say is um, he, he does have kind of a similar profile, just size, speed, everything to, uh, to Nwangu, but um, he carried the ball a lot more in college. Um, Wangu was a guy who was kind of always behind people at Iowa State, whether it was, it was Brees Hall or David Montgomery or whoever. And um, Chandler played a good amount at Tennessee and then um, did put up some big numbers last year at, at North Carolina after both of those their running backs uh, got drafted last year. So I, I don't really know what to expect from, from this round five to seven group, but um, I, I think it was, it's fair to expect at least one of those guys to maybe turn into – to something interesting this year and going forward as well. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's a fair supposition, you know, like, and in the late rounds, you know, you could argue on each, like for me with, with Naylor, I probably would have taken Bo Melton above, you know, like at that spot. Um, another big time receiver that I thought was under the radar for, for differing reasons but I don't mind the conviction in that, you know, like it, it's really hard to on, on each of these individual ones to say, you know, this was a huge mistake. I, I understood the the direction that they were going in and um, the projectability of the guys that, that they ended up targeting. And I, I think you probably have here, what, three, three for sure starters, four for sure starters right away. 
mm-hmm. um, so, something like that. And then the the developmental prospects that you brought in, I, I think they're interesting at positions that they needed to get them in. I, you know, I gave the Vikings a C plus grade, but I, I grade on a curve. And so for me, C plus is actually above average in the NFL. I, I know it doesn't seem like much in comparison to some of the other grades that the, that the industry gives out. But for me, that is a, an above average draft for whatever it's worth. Yeah, so my overall impressions of this draft for the Vikings, um, obviously only time will tell kind of how it plays out, but I, I like the first two picks a lot. I think they needed to address the secondary. You get Lewis Seen, you get Andrew Booth. I thought it was good value with both of those picks. I think they're going to bring just kind of a certain edge and toughness and, and physicality to that back end, and, and both I think have a chance to be really good players. After that, we'll see. Um, the, the two guys we talked about in the middle there, with Ingram and Asamoa, I'm not sure about, but I can understand um, what the idea behind it was. And I, I could see a path for them becoming good players. And then um, Evans in the fourth round and, and then all the late round guys. I mean, you can kind of understand the rationale for every pick. Uh, and that's true of all, most picks in the NFL draft. There's not too many like true head scratchers. I guess Cole Strange by the Patriots in the first round was one of those. But um, I think the thing that's going to be going to be fascinating for a long time is that Whether it's fair or not, people are going to look back and judge uh, this draft based on not only the players the Vikings picked, but some of the players that they didn't pick or that they kind of allowed the the Lions and Packers to get in those trades. And and Kwesi has said that um, like he was pretty sure that uh, the Lions and the Packers in both instances probably could have made those trades and come up for those guys with teams in the area. Um, So why not do the trade themselves and, and benefit from the value of the return. But uh, just within, that's just the nature of, of when you trade with your division rival, uh, especially that first round deal where they move back so far, uh, it's just going to be, it's going to be reflected on and, and dissected for a long time, especially because it was uh, Adolfo Mensa's first draft as GM. But that kind of ties in with what I want to talk about a little bit next, which is uh, how the other teams in the NFC North did over the weekend. Uh and uh, we'll start with the Lions, who I think I, I like what they're building with, with Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. And uh, the Lions have not really struck fear into anybody's hearts for quite some time. The Vikings have just kind of dominated them for uh, for a long time. And but last year they get Panay Sewell and, and this year they, they get Aiden Hutchinson, who many people thought was, was going to be that number one guy. Uh, he, he, he falls into their lap at two. And then trade up for Jameson Williams, who I, who I think has a ton of upside. What did you, uh, what were your overall thoughts kind of of, of that haul and the Lions draft uh, at large? I gave the Lions an A minus. I, in terms of the division, I thought they probably had the best draft. And it's not because they had the most draft equity. It's the guys that they got in those slots. Like you said, Aiden Hutchinson at two, nobody expected him to be there. That was a slam dunk. You also have the, you know, keeping the local kid home and stuff like that. That that was a master stroke for them getting Jamison Williams at 12. The, the Vikings, they can also make the argument on their side, but the, the Lions are absolutely thrilled. They played the board right. There were some teams, you know, like Thursday night was a really chaotic night. It broke the record for most trades since we've gone to th- the three days w- w- with the draft, you know, over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, most first round trades we've seen. And we knew that there was going to be that receiver run. It, it was even more pronounced than we thought. Six of the first 18 picks ended up being wide receivers. The Lions knew that was coming. They saw it begin. And then they they made the, the very aggressive master stroke to move up. I love that. Getting Pascal in the second round, I had no problem with that. That that, that kid's you know long stretched out athletic edge rusher. 
Um, zero problems with that. Kirby Joseph, I thought was really good value in the third round. The, the Lions arguably had the worst secondary come in the in the NFL coming into the, you know last weekend or whatever. So you needed to address that. Kirby Joseph was they hadn't done it yet before that. He was really good value in that slot. Um, you know, and then and then going back, Malcolm Rodriguez would probably be my next favorite. And then Chase Lucas as well. Chase Lucas, he's going to make that roster. Chase Lucas, if they don't do anything else, might be starting, you know, across from Okuda next year. But I, I also like the Malcolm Rodriguez pick in, in, in round six. He, he's one of those guys who it, the, the only thing you can knock him on is the ruler stuff. You know, on the field, he's awesome. He piled up a billion tackles in college. Very, very decorated kid. Um, gets around the field well, plays fearless, but he, he's just a little bit smaller. Certainly has the athletic profile, though. That was the thing he proved in the, the pre-draft process to lock himself into the draft. I, I thought this was a very impressive draft by Detroit and another impressive draft by Detroit. They've had a couple straight now. The, the, the new front office they have, very clearly different from the past ones where we would always be ranking their drafts at the bottom. You know, th these past couple of years, they've been near the top of the draft grades and for good reason. Yeah, it certainly seems like they know what they're doing and, and they're they're building the foundation. Now they still need obviously the quarterback, but uh, it doesn't, I don't think they're going to be particularly good in 2022. I mean, that's kind of the baseline of what we've seen from the lions for a long time, but the pieces are there so that um, unless they surprise and they're in the wildcard mix, they'll probably be in the range to, if not stay put and, and take one of the quarterbacks uh, in this 2023 class that we're going to hear a lot about over the next year. Uh, maybe they'll have the ammo to, to move up and go get one. Cause that kind of seems like that's, that's the, the last, not the last piece, but that's, that's the biggest piece that if they can add that and, and address that position um, you've got talent on the offensive line, got talent on the defensive line, um, wide receiver running back, the, even, even the linebackers and the, and the secondary now, like they're building up a, a very competent roster. So um, not a team to be too concerned with in 2022, but um, they, they might be interesting for the first time in a while, uh, starting in, as soon as 2023. Um, the Packers on the flip side, the class of the NFC North for a long time, the team that the Vikings are chasing. And um, obviously they lose Devontae Adams this year. And who knows if they're going to be able to kind of keep it all together and keep winning games at such a high level under Matt LaFleur. But as long as they have Aaron Rodgers, I think the, the, the best bet is probably that they can. And, and they're the favorites. Uh, and a little bit maybe concerning for Vikings fans that after the past couple of years where you were like, what are the Packers doing in the draft exactly? Um, it seemed to me like they had a pretty, pretty solid, competent draft this year. You gave them a B plus. Uh, they get they get Quay Walker uh, and, and Devontae Wyatt, two Georgia defenders in the first round and then trade up for Christian Watson, add some other nice pieces throughout the rest of the day. Um what you you like their draft what what was um kind of the reasoning behind that i did yeah the 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 first pick i did not like the the quay walker one um we knew in advance of the draft like in the three four days leading up that one team in the nfl had become absolutely obsessed with quay walker because his first round odds completely flipped this enormous underdog to go in in the first round a week before the draft and then all of a sudden two days before the draft. Now he's a prohibitive favorite to go in the first round. It turns out that that was the Packers. I, I didn't like that, that, that pick, you know, I mean, like he was surrounded by a historic amount of defensive talent last year. He was outplayed at his own position group by Channing Tindall, who was a compensatory third round pick last year. 
that pick I wasn't as big of a fan. You can certainly make the argument based on his measurables and such like that, that the projectability of him. I just would not have taken that jump at, at 22 where they did. But the rest of the class I thought was awesome. Like really, really good stuff. Devontae Wyatt, you can't you can't argue against him at 28. That's really good value. I am sort of curious what they do with him because they got, you know, Kenny Clark as the the three, four nose tackle Devonte Wyatt. He, his projection is as a four, three gap shooting three technique. So I'm sort of curious how they're going to do that, but I really like his game. In fact, I comped him to a former um, people that people that, that the Vikings fans and NFC North fans will know quite well. Tommy Harris, uh, former bears first rounders is the guy that I comped him to um, Christian Watson. I, I thought that was a great move for them as well. Um, you know, the, the Vikings, you know, and this sort of goes in line with the other trade, the Vikings, the Vikings make the trade with the Lions, presumably took that offer over other ones because it guaranteed them two picks in the top 35. Seems like they prioritize that. I think a part of the reason they might have is because they knew it was a bit deeper, sort of in that alleyway going from the first to the second round. Quasi probably, you know, I'm not trying to give them too much credit, but this it didn't take any logical leaps to get here. If you look at the board that, that that 34th pick was going to be quite valuable as would was the 32nd. He, he mentioned that he got good trade offers for that, that he ended up turning down. And the fact that Louis seen was there, I, I understand why he would at 34, you're also going to get aggressive offers because the guys that were still on the board, I was in some ways surprised that the Packers didn't take Christian Watson at 28. That's what I had in my last mock draft. I, think I had in the last few mock drafts just because the Packers came into this thing along with the Falcons, probably the two worst wide receiving cores in the NFL. And Christian Watson was the one receiver in this class that looked like he had been built from birth to be a Green Bay Packer receiver. It wasn't just because he was a Packer you know, fan back in the day. It wasn't just because in college he, he wore Packer-like uh, you know, uh, colors at NDSU or whatever. It was also just, just the profile. That's what they always go for. 6'4", 210, runs in the four threes, boundary receiver that pops the top, plays his butt off, blocks his butt off, stuff like that. Um, he, he's just sort of like a next evolution of a Marquez Valdez scaling who they lost. He's Marquez Valdez scaling, but plus, plus, plus. So it wasn't surprising that they ended up making that move back up the board uh, with the Vikings. And I like their other picks too. Sean Ryan was a really good value. Dubes, I was a little bit lower on than they are. Um, he reminds me of Quinn Cephas, a guy that got drafted into the NFC North a couple years ago. I'm just worried about his juice. Because he's a guy who's he's an he's another big stout outside receiver that pops the top like the Packers always go for. Um, but I'm just wondering if he has the athletic juice for everything else to play up in the NFL. We'll, we'll see about that. But the rest of the I mean, just great, great work. Like Zach Tom was a steal in the fourth round. Kingsley Enix Barre, he should not have been there at the 179th pick. The NFL was just a little bit concerned about his testing profile. But that kid play, I mean, he's been producing in the SEC now for years and years. He's got the length. He's got everything else like that. Certainly the explosion. We saw that, I, I believe it was his vertical jump where he tested really well. And then the other pick I liked um, a lot there was, was Rashid Walker. I was really surprised he was available at, at pick 249. I had him 127th on my board. I, I have not graded the Packers last two classes well. I, I did not think Gudikins in maybe even three years that he's drafted well since he's, you know, since he has taken over the primary drafting job. But this was really slick work this year. I'm, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, not the thing that Vikings fans necessarily want to hear. But again, it's all kind of projection. We'll see how, how it plays out. And I do think um, the, the Vikings objectively got great value in that trade that they made. And again, yes. like if Christian Watson becomes like the next, not, he's not gonna be the next Devonte Adams, but if he becomes a really good uh, number one wide receiver, there'll be fans who are like, why'd you do that? 
they probably could have gotten up and gotten him anyways at, at, I don't know, 35, 36, 30, like somewhere in that range. So the Vikings taking that deal and, and getting two first round picks for one, and then having some of the ammo to go up and get Andrew Booth, I, I think they did really well there. But you have to give some credit to the Packers. It looks like they had a, a strong haul. The, now, the Bears are another story. Um, you rated them even below the Vikings with a C-. minus. Um, I, I was just surprised, man. Like, I thought they were going to prioritize getting Justin Fields help, getting him wide receivers, getting him offensive linemen. And, and they got in their first two picks, their defensive backs. And I think... Um, Kyle, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker could both be very good players, but uh, it was just an interesting approach to me. Um, was that kind of the reason why you didn't like their draft or was it just the, the the players that they ended up with? Both. Yeah. I mean, it was both the the positions they ended up targeting, but also the prospects they got in the slots they did. I, I You know, I think w- when you go into a draft and you, you know, Ryan Pace in his defense, he goes into the draft with this Swiss, you know, Swiss cheese type roster where they have all these different holes in part that was by design. Cause he doesn't want to give all multi-year deals and free agency to veterans right now. And certainly I understand why I don't want to tie up his future cap room, but, but that was the case. And they didn't have the ton of draft equity because of the fields trade last year. So they were sitting outside the first round, but, but the positive of that, like the, the, you know, you can cut things both ways. The, the, the positive about that heading into a draft is you ha- with the other picks that you have, you can go best available because there's so few positions that you're that are just set that you don't need. And, and so th- that was my bigger issue with, with Chicago here. You have the flexibility to go all these different directions in this draft. As we talked about before, it was weaker up top, the top 10, the top 15. Any evaluator you talk to would tell you the top 10, top 15 was worse than, you know, in terms of quality of of the ones you could see the last five years, but where's the strength of the class? It's in day two. And then, you know, earlier on into, into day three or whatever, Chicago had picks there. And so for me, I would have been not, not tying myself into specific positions. I would have had this big group of positions and then been going best available. And maybe that's what they, they, they would say that they did. But for me, some of these guys were not best available. Like th- their first two picks, I had no problem with. The Kyler Gordon pick, zero problems with. Jaquan Brisker, I have zero problems with. Those guys are probably going to play immediately for them. It was the picks after that, you know, and, and in, in date, you know, late day two and then into day three, especially for a roster like that and where you are right now. And, and you, you, you need these guys to come in and at least be good, uh, at least be worthy of the developmental time that you're going to sink into them. That was my issue with this, like Velas Jones at, at 71. I, I, I don't really know what you're doing there. Uh, me and a couple of people I was watching the senior bowl with down in Mobile, we, we were making some jokes about Velas Jones. He wasn't playing that good on the field. We didn't love his tape. I was surprised that he was a really surprised that he was a third round receiver. That, that was one of the ones in the first two days where, where I was like, really? You know, especially in comparison to some of the other guys on the board. The Braxton Jones pick I did like. But, Will, I, I totally with what you're saying, the, the surprise for me was that you don't take the offensive lineman before, right? Like, you know, by all means, take the receiver. But why are you, you going to reach up for Velas Jones in the third round when there's still viable offensive linemen on the board that could come in, start immediately? Braxton Jones, I actually like his, you know, projectability. I, I like the, the idea of him as a developmental guy. But if for me, with Chicago, one of the things you need to prioritize – is improving the protection for Justin Fields next season. Because one of the very important things for your program is how is Justin Fields going to be progressing? You want to see the, the, 
you know, him, him step up this coming season. If you don't have any time to throw, that's going to be an issue. And one thing with, about Braxton Jones, even though I like him as a prospect, a developmental guy, I'm not sure that he can be playable next year, especially if he's going to be on one of the boundaries or whatever. Yeah, um, fifth, th- fifth round pick is probably not going to come in and contribute a ton right away. Um, one one uh, thing I was looking at your your grades that I wanted to point out that I think Vikings fans would find amusing is in the seventh round, they took another tackle, uh, Jatire Carter, uh, who you had comp to Dakota Dozier. So now the Bears have uh, a <laughs> D Dakota Dozier comp, and they also have Dakota Dozier. <laughs> I, I love it when the comps, when it like lines up with something in reality, because obviously, you know, Will, as you know, like I do all these, you know, pre-draft, whatnot, you know, put out the board. But like, you know, um, the for instance, the Patriots picked of Cole Strange in the first round when everyone was going nuts about that. I, I just, um, so I had ranked Cole Strange a little bit higher than that in the 50s. But like, also, I when it happened, I just had a sort of a sly grin because when I had watched him, he grew on me more and more as I watched him, but he, I ended up comping him to Joe Thune. And so it, it wasn't a surprise to me, the organization that ended up taking him in this case too, you know, it, it's always sort of funny when, when it lines up like that. Um, but yeah, with, with Carter, he has some projectable tools for sure. And some projectable traits, but just like Dakota Dozier, it was a kid that played tackle effectively at one of the subdivisions that's going to have to go up into the NFL and learn how to be a guard. Um, you know, and they're going to be relying on Dakota Dozier to start this coming season. Uh, I'm happy the Vikings don't have to say the same. And uh, maybe he can teach Mr. Carter, you know, so, sort of how to transition from the one position to the other in the NFL. I want to I get you out here. I want to ask you one question, put, kind of put you on the spot here. But um, this is going back uh, into, into recent drafts. Is there a, a Vikings player from the past few drafts? I mean, you can go back as far as you want. Um, that since you've been doing this has kind of surprised you in either a positive or negative way with what they've done in the NFL compared to uh, how you evaluated them coming in, coming out of, out of school. I was, I was going to look back at the, at the, the picks cause I could probably give you 20, but because of that specific I, the one right off the top of my head, Justin Jefferson, man, like Justin Jefferson, like I liked him in college, you know, he had to pay prior to 2019. He had to play in the paint drying offense, you know, like the sort of the vestiges of the old Les Miles offenses. And he was playing outside receiver there, did as much as he could. You know, he was, he was the one guy that was getting targets there. And then his last year, he played the slot. What I was wondering is in a high octane offense, could he be a stud on the outside? Could he be a star? Like I knew he could do everything from the slot. And I knew he could do a bunch of the stuff from the outside because I seen that earlier in his career. It was just like for the for like a really good offense for a contending offense. Could he be that guy in the outside? The fact that that was even a question in my mind tells you that I made a mistake there. And right away, I knew it immediately. Like this kid is special. Um, He was just a weird evaluation because of the circumstance. Right. Like, you know, his offense in his circumstance didn't jump up until that last season. And when it did. On the outside, they had two special prospects there too. Jamar Chase on the one side and then Terrace Marshall on the other side. He was another five-star, you know, and then he ended up going in the second round. But Jefferson in that situation was better for the slot. And, and, and in your head, you're trying to unparse or unspool. Is that because they think the other guys are better for the outside work? Turns out, no, it turns out the kid's a stud. Turns out the kid is, is on par early on in his career with Randy Moss's early on numbers. So that one, I was definitely wrong. And Mia Culpa put it Justin Jefferson. Well, you weren't the only one. The, the NFL let him be the, the fifth receiver taken in that draft. So uh, certainly kind of a lot of people who didn't expect to see this just kind of historic start to his career. But uh, yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for us. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming on my first 
episode here and uh, uh, people can find your, your work at NBC Sports Edge, formerly known as Roto World and on Twitter at ThorKU. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Will, thanks so much. And it was an honor to be on your first show.